Blog Talk Radio. The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. St. Bernard of Clairvaux. This is the story of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, last of the doctors of the church, who history tells us almost single-handed guided Europe out of the dark ages into the glory of the medieval world. But before a man can shape the world, he must himself be tempered and shaped to do God's will. I am William, Bishop of Chalon, and I knew Bernard from his youth. And I also knew Bernard that Christmas Eve years ago, when this shy, introspective lad fell asleep and seemed to see, he later told me, the infant Jesus, newly born in the stable in Bethlehem. From that day, he ever had a most tender devotion toward that great mystery of love and mercy the manhood of Christ. And later in his life, I approved when he with his brothers and some 30 other young nobles joined the strict and very small Cistercian monastery at Citeaux, thereby gave it such new life that presently Bernard and 12 others were sent out to found a new monastery in a waste place in Champagne called the Valley of Wormwood. About two years later, Stephen Harding, the founder of Citeaux, sent me to the Valley of Wormwood with definite instructions. You've done well, Bernard. It's almost incredible. No one would recognize the valley. Wait a few more years, Bishop William, and you'll see. 
Now that the farm is started and the vineyard, we can begin to build. We've begun quarrying the stone already. Yes, the valley is prospering, Bernard. But you, what about you? Oh, I'm very well. That is not true, Bernard. Quite obviously, you are killing yourself with overwork and starvation. What nonsense, Bishop William. Moreover, your monks are discouraged. That is why I am here. Bishop William, our rule is strict, of course, but if we'd wanted comfort or an easy life, we'd have stayed in the world. There is moderation in all things, Bernard. When fasting and discipline break down health and destroy courage, they become an evil. You expect too much of yourself and of others. How can we expect too much of ourselves? How can we sacrifice too much for God? Do you hope to equal Christ's sacrifice in your own body, Bernard? All he asks is that you follow the rule of the order. When you insist on doing more, you are indulging in the sin of pride. No, it's not true. It's just that we're weak. We have encouraged to deny ourselves. I am ashamed of myself and my brothers here. We don't deserve God's grace. We have failed. Bernard, Abbot Stephen commands you to relinquish the monastery to my control for a year. You yourself will live apart in a quiet cell, and you will do no physical work and speak to no one save the physician whom I brought with me. But with so much to be done... There is time enough. You will rest and study and meditate and perhaps write down whatever thoughts God puts into your heart. But most strictly, you will obey the doctor. I can't do it. Can't, Bernard? I... Bishop William, must I? Yes, you must. For your soul's good, as well as your body, Bernard. In a year, we shall see. forced solitude, Bernard outgrew his impetuous youth, though he never quite regained his physical health. I was glad to hand over the monastery to him and to watch how his understanding increased and his charity deepened in his writings and sermons, which soon were famous all through France and even Italy. As for the Valley of Wormwood, it was now called Clairvaux because it spread light and learning like a great beacon to peasants who came to learn farming and the culture of the vine, as well as to scholars who sought Bernard's inspiration. Then, in the year 1131, Bernard asked me to visit him. It's this disastrous trouble in Rome, I suppose, Bernard. Yes, Bishop William. Of course, there's no question that Innocent is truly Pope. He was properly elected the very day that His Holiness Pope Honorius died. Do you know this Cardinal Pierleone who has set himself as an anti-pope? No. I only know that the Roman nobility support him. Well, I know him. Clever man. An ambitious man. He started as a monk, but he made powerful friends and rose quickly to great honors. His friends here in France, as well as in Italy and the German Empire, yes, they'd like to see him on the throne of Peter. It would suit them very well. Pope Innocent has been driven from Rome. He wants me to go with him to the courts of France and Germany to try to prevent the spread of the schism. He has made a good choice, Bernard. You must go, of course. 
That's what I wish to ask you, Bishop Williams. It is a temptation. I remember well how you rebuked me long ago for pride. And cured me, too. When I saw how excellently Clairvaux prospered without my aid, I learned how foolish I had been to regard myself as important to God. He can use any instrument he pleases. But in this case, God apparently wants to use you. You have the gift of persuasion, Bernard. Now, it won't be easy. You'll be arguing against gold, which is a silent but very powerful orator. Nonetheless, you must succeed. The throne of Peter must not be allowed to fall under the control of secular princes. I know. But I dread the world. I fled from it long ago, knowing how much it tempted me. Then it is certainly time that you went out into it again and proved that nothing it can offer is worth one hour of peace, said Clairvaux. Go and observe the princes of this world, Bernard. Let them teach you how little their power means in the light of eternity. First the king of France, and then the king of England listened to Bernard. And though there were plenty of courtiers in each kingdom to argue against him, his logic and passion prevailed. Next, Bernard journeyed to the Emperor Lothair, beyond the Rhine. Ah, Herbert Bernard, I'm glad you've come. They tell me you are an intelligent man as well as a scholar. I don't seem to get anywhere writing to your innocent. I suppose he's a saint or something. Anyway, he doesn't seem to understand plain facts. One fact, at least, is plain, Your Majesty. Innocent is truly Pope. Well, now, you'll admit that there's not much chance he'll ever say Mass in St. Peter's unless I support him, eh? That is not the point, Your Majesty. For the sake of your immortal soul and for the good of Christendom, you must support the right. It is not a matter of choice. I don't see it that way, Abbot Bernard. I'm a good Christian. I'll accept any Pope that the Cardinals elect. But here they've elected two, haven't they? So I can choose between them, eh? You know better, Your Majesty. You are not a stupid man. You know that only one Pope exists. His name is Innocent. Pierre Leon, who calls himself Anacletus, is a political adventurer. Thank you for agreeing that I'm not stupid. If you'll forgive me, I think your Pope Innocent is. He needs my support. But he refuses me any return for it. <laughs> is that sensible? Perhaps not if you think that the succession of the Vicar of Christ on Earth should be up for auction. You wish to have the appointment of bishops in your empire, don't you? Naturally. Grant me that, and I'll see to it that Innocent is in St. Peter's within the year. Priests and bishops are not secular officials, Your Majesty. They serve God, not you. To them, you are but one soul among all those that are committed to their care. Sometimes it may be their duty to oppose you for the sake of your people. How can they do so if you can make or break them? I am emperor, Abbot Bernard. And I don't like having people in my empire whom I cannot command absolutely. I will have it. Be content with your crown, Your Majesty. It is enough, and more than enough, for mortal man to govern wisely as a prince. Leave to God the things that are God's. <laughs> Why, you're as stubborn as Pope Innocent himself. Of course. I have not come to bargain with you, Your Majesty. I come to tell you your plain duty. 
which is to prevent the shattering of Christian unity. Why, what does it matter to me who wears the tiara? It will matter on the day of judgment, Your Majesty. You have power in this world. Therefore, you are commanded to use it for the right. To whom much is given, from him much shall be required. You threaten me? Not I, but God himself. Because you are the Emperor Lothair. Do you think that you can make bargains with God? But Anacletus in Rome is willing enough to give me what I ask. God forgive him. Therein is proof, Your Majesty, if you needed it, that Innocent is truly Pope. You cannot deny it. You know it in your heart. You are... You're a brave man, Abbot Bernard. Why? Because I speak the truth? Your Majesty, I pity you if you find the truth spoken before you so seldom. It must be a hard thing indeed to be an emperor. <laughs> it is when a monk like you turns up at court. Very well. You've won your point. And I suppose I can't even expect that Pope Innocent will be grateful. In prayers for your welfare, certainly. But what does he owe you, Your Majesty? You can do nothing else than be honest with God. Abbot Bernard, I wish you had remained in your cloister... You are too disturbing to the outside world. Your Majesty, I have seen the world. And Clairvaux is very dear to me. Dearer than ever. But, Your Majesty, I am a soldier. A soldier of Christ. And I must fight for him. When and wherever he commands. Though I love Clairvaux, I cannot refuse to do battle on any field he chooses. And, in fact, Bernard could not yet go back to Clairvaux. Though the great princes had declared allegiance to Pope Innocent, many lesser nobles felt that they could make profit out of the schism. One was the Count of Aquitaine, a brutal bully, whose sins had brought down on him the just anger of the Bishop of Poitiers. He seized the excuse to expel the bishop from his see by force. The bishop promptly and rightly excommunicated him and called upon Bernard for help. Bernard came to Aquitaine, but the Count would not see him. Thereupon, Bernard announced that he would say Mass in the cathedral. The Count served notice that if Bernard dared to mention his name in the pulpit, he would never leave the church alive. With his armed knights attending him, he came to the great doors of the cathedral just as Mass was beginning. Slowly and reverently, Bernard moved through the sacred ritual. Then, at the elevation, he turned suddenly, bearing the host aloft and strode straight down the center aisle to the group just inside the doors. You have defied the servants of God, my Lord Count. You have broken the laws of God and of his church. You have refused to listen to the appeals of men of goodwill. You have threatened to slay me if I speak truth about you. Look now upon the God whom you will not serve. You are brave enough to offer violence to a poor monk. Are you brave enough? Are you mad enough to draw your sword against the God of hosts? You do not answer, my Lord Count. Unsheathe your sword and murder me as you swore to do. Or kneel before your God. Look, the Count is kneeling. It is well. 
You have saved your soul in this moment, my son. Now, make your peace with God and with the bishop, and let there be peace in Aquitaine. And thus it was that no man ever strove harder for worldly success than Bernard strove for retirement. And of all his heavy sacrifices, assuredly the greatest was his obedience to the call of popes or prelates who needed his help and who thus drew him away from mortification, silence, and prayer. It was not only politicians and princes who troubled those years. What was called the new learning divided scholars until the universities rocked with controversy. In 1139, Bernard spoke to me about a letter he had received from Paris. I don't want to go, Bishop William. I've never studied rhetoric. In fact, I don't see much use in it. Logic, yes, but these fine-spun arguments about words are so useless. Ah, oh, they're dangerous, Bernard. An idea begins as an argument. It becomes a doctrine, and in no time at all it turns into a heresy. Human reason, without humility, is like an untamed horse. Very exciting, but not to be trusted. But for me to argue in public with Peter Abelard, he's the most brilliant orator in Europe, even now. And though I know he's wrong, how can I be sure that my simple arguments will convince men who love his subtle cleverness? If I make a fool of myself, no one will argue that it was because I am unskilled. They'll think Abelard must have the right of it. It is a risk to be taken, Bernard, this Abelard's last bid for fame and fortune. Everyone knows that Eloise has taken her sorrows into a convent, and he has all the force of romantic tragedy behind him. Young men listen to him, thousands of them. Poor, desperate soul. So arrogant, so sure of himself. Yes, he's that, or he wouldn't have challenged you. He couldn't have done better, Bishop William. I have no skill at all in academic argument. Abelard wants to put God into a formula. But do I dare debate with him? With all Europe for an audience. If you don't, Abelard will triumph. Go to Paris, Bernard. You must risk your reputation on the altar of truth. Never had there been such excitement as was roused by this debate between the great scholar-teacher whose tragic story was known to all the world and the abbot of Clairvaux. People came from all over Europe. And when the master of the synod rose after the reading of the points at issue, there was absolute silence in the packed, enormous hall. Bernard, abbot of Clairvaux, are you ready to present your arguments? God helping me, I am ready, my lord bishop. Peter Abelard, since it is you who have issued the challenge to this debate, it is your right to speak first. Are you prepared? My Lord Bishop, I am not prepared. How say you, Peter Abelard? You are not prepared to speak? No. No, I do not wish to speak. I beg permission to withdraw. Astonished but thankful to God, Bernard returned to Clairvaux. 
And there, he received a visitor. You didn't expect me, Abbot Bernard. Perhaps not, Peter Abelard, but you are welcome. Abbot Bernard, you're wondering why I refuse to engage in debate. I am, a little. You see, I fully expected to be vanquished. You? You expected to fail? Why not? I have never studied the art of twisting words to any meaning that seems convenient. I'm not even a great scholar, as you are. All my theology was learned on the hillsides here at Clairvaux, where God reveals his glory in trees and stars and little forest animals. I only know that he is good because he created me, and I must love him and serve him. You see, I could never have argued with a master of rhetoric such as you. But you believe that I am wrong? Yes. All your life you have believed that your own will was the test of everything. That you could disobey any rule at all as long as you could invent a good enough excuse for what you wanted to do. You are harsh, Abbot. I have suffered much. God knows it. Moreover, you endangered another soul, one that has proved worth more than your own, for she has expiated her sin. But you still hunger after worldly fame and justification in the eyes of men. No more. No more, Abbot Bernard. When I saw you before that vast audience, with your head bowed in prayer, I felt suddenly that all my arguments were nonsense. I could not speak. And now? It has been a long road. I believed in myself, in my intelligence, in my own strength. Look at me, broken and bitter. I have tried to blame the envy of others, even you. It was my own fault. Why should I lead others on such a road? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, my brother. There is yet time. Wisdom. That is what you have, Abbot Bernard. Where I have only learning. I shall try to find wisdom in the years that are left to me. Yes, this servant of God was eminent above all men in liberty of spirit yet with humility and mildness, so that he seemed, as it were, to fear no man and to reverence all men. By the year 1144, there was no one in all Europe with the influence of Bernard. When the Muslims broke into the Christian kingdom of Jerusalem with fire and slaughter, desecrating the holy places and killing helpless pilgrims as well as our people who lived there, Bernard preached the crusade with earnest faith. It seemed to him that we had a duty to protect our people who had taken root for several generations in the Holy Land. Europe took fire from his preaching and the second crusade set out. I need not speak of its desperate end. Betrayed on every side by its own leaders as well as by Manuel of Constantinople. It was a terrible and utter failure. The news of it reached Clairvaux. Have I sinned again, Bishop William? Was it pride? Ask your own soul, Bernard. I believed in the cause. How could we abandon our brothers in the Holy Land? They deserved our help. 
It is no fault of yours that our leaders cared nothing about helping them. It was stupid to boot. But I should have known the Emperor Conrad was a fool. I ought to have known that something was wrong when I found that German monk preaching the massacre of the Jews in Frankfurt. You put a stop to that quickly enough, Bernard. But it should have shown me the spirit was wrong. You did what you thought right, Bernard. Yes, they called me the wisest man in Europe. Human wisdom is such a tiny spark to follow in this world. Once you told me to risk my reputation for truth's sake, and it was given back to me a hundredfold. This time I had no doubt of the outcome, and I have lost it utterly. It is his will. God's will be done. Bernard fell ill in the following year and suffered cruelly from a slow, wasting disease. But out of his pain came some of his finest writings. In 1153, the people of Metz sent to Clairvaux, begging that Bernard would make peace between them and their duke, who threatened to put the city to the sword. Bernard could not walk, but he insisted on being taken the long journey on a litter, bringing with him a treaty of peace and the prayers of his heart. The little procession of monks came down the hillside to the gate of the town, between the encamped army of the duke and the citizens manning the walls. There was deep silence as Bernard slowly raised himself to his feet and stood swaying, one hand lifted in blessing. My brothers, I am dying. I have delayed in order to bring you peace. Take it. It is God's gift. Live at peace with each other and with God. Obey the commandments and believe that in God is all our hope and our salvation. God be with you, my dearly beloved in Christ. It was his last public act. Soon after, he was laid to rest at Clairvaux. I remember him in youth and in life. I remember that his body was marked by a certain grace, rather spiritual than corporeal. His face was radiant with a light not of earth, but of heaven. His eyes shone with angelic purity and dove-like simplicity. Such was the beauty of the inner man that it brake forth by manifest tokens to the sight. And even the outer man seemed bedewed with the abundance of his inward purity and grace. listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill, 
through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV-AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore, attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need, please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymore, Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.